Good morning, City Life. Good morning to City Lifers and visitors. Welcome to church. Grateful that you're here. We get to celebrate and worship Jesus one more week. Uh, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Pedro Reese and I'm the lead pastor here. And like I say every week, I'd just like to welcome everyone to hitting that I'm new button. If you've been around for a little bit and have never reached out, you're hiding out line, online, or if you, it's your first week, we just really encourage you to reach out. We are called as a church to walk this life, getting to know Jesus together. And so let us know that you're here. Let us connect with you. I would love to go get a cup of coffee with you this week or a meal. I just actually did that with someone else who's new to our church. And so, uh, yeah, give us that opportunity to get to know you. Reach out. Uh, That's what we're here for. Today is the third sermon in our new sermon series called Sexuality, Know and Be Known. And the whole point of what we're doing in the sermon series, I like highly encourage you to go and listen to the rest. You can find them on our YouTube page or on our website. Links to both are on our website um, to really understand what we're saying, what the goal of this, right? Because we say sexuality and we reduce it to mean one or two things or a handful of things. And really we're like fundamentally talking about our being, like how God has made humanity, right? God created all things and he made us to be sexual beings. And so how can we rightfully think about all that? Like, how can we discuss that as a church and have conversations about how like to pursue sexual wholeness, how to like be sexual, healthy sexual beings. And up until now, we've been laying the foundation. Another reason why you should listen to the first two if you want to join along with us. I'm talking about the, the, how fundamentally being a sexual being is like part of our identity. It's part of what God used to capture his image, right, in us, male and female. And uh, today we take a step into something more practical on the topic, right? Because of our pillars, because we want this sermon series to not just be like highly intellectual or, or thinking, like we want it to be something that we can wear and put on and like have be a healthy part of our lives and our beings and our expressions. Like today, we're stepping into an area for the first time. And the first topic that we're going to talk about is sexuality in singleness. And so most directly, today's sermon is for people who are single, but really, it's like also for all of us. So like, what do we learn as like being a individual sexual being? Again, most directly, this is for if you are single and unmarried. How can you have like a more biblical portrait of what sexuality and singleness looks like according to the biblical worldview. Healthy sexuality without anything else in the picture that shouldn't be there. And we start with singleness, you know why? Because too often, whenever a church, if a church ever does venture into this, normally it is only talking about the act of having sex, which we actually will address a little bit today, a a bit today. Or it's like whenever sexuality is brought up, it's like always in the context of a marriage. But all of us are single before we're married, right? All of us are single. And so like we need this, we want to speak to singleness because... The point of life, the point of all this is not, hey, like, wait, hang out until you get married. I was like, sexuality is much more than that. Usually uh, the implied messages when we hear sermons like that or usually like the assumed messages, implied or uncommunicated messages is that like, you know what? God has made this and he made something great and he made something beautiful. But if you're not married yet, you have to lock it behind the door, repress everything about what it means to be sexual. Like even the good things, even the, the things that are like part of human nature and has like 
little to do with erotic expression, like all of that, repress it and put it away until you find someone who is going to put a ring on it. And then like, yeah, you can start to get yourself, get to know what it really means to be a sexual being. And that's like not good. That's not the message that we need to hear. Like sexuality is not just an erotic connection with somebody, but it's the embodying. It's part of what embodies the image of an invisible God. And it's part of what we carry. Our ongoing definition of sexuality is that sexuality is part of the image of God that he made us to have. And it's like this desire to know and be known by others. Spirituality is our every effort to connect with God, to know and be known by him. And then the rest, sexuality, is our pursuits to know and be known by others. And so single people, like who we're speaking to you most directly today, and I'm here to say that pursuing sexual wholeness does not depend on anyone else. It's not rooted in another. You can and ought to pursue sexual wholeness in singleness. Like There's a whole life here that God meant for us, even in singleness, to know and connect with us being sexual beings. Like Have that rooted in a healthy, vibrant part of our identity and what that really means. Sexuality is given to us by God, and so it is not only found in marriage. It would be too small if it was that. And so pursuing sexual wholeness is possible in your singleness. You can be sexually fulfilled in a way that I think very few of us have ever been confronted with, according to the biblical worldview. And so today we're going to talk about three areas of being single and like exploring sexuality. We're going to talk about three things, like I could not let go of any of these three things. And so instead of letting go any bits of like, these are like part of my babies right now, I could not let go of any of them. And so we're going to go to three different areas. This is like one sermon to paint a broader portrait of sexuality and singleness. And we're going to get there by talking about three different areas of it. The first one being the good gift of singleness which I'm sure no one who, like very few people who are single actually want to hear that. Uh, it's all in the Greek, which is a look at sex outside of marriage, and then cross-gender relationships. And I pray that all three of these, like we're able to like bring them together and paint a more biblical picture of sexuality and singleness. And so before we jump in, uh, let's pray. Let's pray together and invite the Holy Spirit in. So Jesus, I thank you for this day. Holy Spirit, I uh, ask for your presence. I welcome you into the preaching of your word, Lord, and the hearing of your word. Meet us exactly where every single one of us are at, Lord. Help us to like truly understand it and continue to redefine and re-understand like, the picture of sexuality that you made us to live out, vibrant and healthy, with boundaries, pursuing what you've called us to. Lord, uh, I, I just pray that today, like every other sermon, especially in this series, Lord, um, it's about discipling us into what you have given us. And so, Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. Do the work that only you can do. We're here on your agenda, not on our own. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So the first part of what we're talking about is the good gift of sexuality. I want the first thing in the meat of this sermon, the first thing that anyone hears me say to them is this. To everyone who, who is single, you don't have something less because of your singleness. 
You don't have a lesser life. You are not a lesser person, a lesser being. You also don't have a lesser sexual expression because you don't have that other person to have that like sexual encounter with. I just like I feel like a big burden to say that that you are no less you are no less love you are no less significant you are no less important you are no less like belong to the body like you have no less sexual expression than people who are married like we, we live in such a world that like reframes everything about sexuality around like having sex right and it's like so ingrained in us because it's like such a human thing to want and to desire, right? If you desire being married, you desire a good thing. I'm married and I love being married. I remember when I wasn't and like my pursuit to get there, even though it took Anne and I about seven years, seven and a half years of dating, like I remember that. And I, I remember the struggle that I had and I know not everyone is there, right? Some people are listening to me and you have no plans to get married and, and that's good. Like you want a good thing, that's, that's okay. Like, Marriage is not for all of us. I know that. But then there's like also people who are listening to this. Like that's like the thing I want most. And I don't know why it's taking so long. But I just want to speak to your heart. You are no less. And God has made a way for like all of us to express ourselves sexually in appropriate ways that have nothing to do with the one thing that we are like conditioned and programmed to think about. Like even even by our biological like wants, right? Like oh, like sex is a good thing. It's a good thing to want sex. It means that you're human and that you're working, right? But I like I want to start off today saying, right? The only time the church ever really talks about this, there's like this implied stigma or problem, and there's nothing wrong with being single. It's actually a good gift. Like I know no, but like not too many people who are single want to hear that. But let like part of being sexually whole and like stepping into more if there's more to come in your life in terms of relationships, in terms of marriage, is like having this peace before you ever even enter into it. And I, I want to read 1 Corinthians 7, 6 and 9. Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he says this, in his letter to the Corinthians, the people who are like uniquely sexually broken, where like he uniquely had to write specifically about certain sexual issues that are kind of crazy to us. And he writes this in chapter 7, verses 6 and 9. Now as a concession, not a command, I say this, I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and to the widows, I say it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Like, to me, it's like such a curious thing that that ends up in our holy scripture, right? Our living word, sharper than any two-edged two sword. Like Paul here writes, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is like, for some of you, like, stay single. Being single is good. And that's just the base of what I want to affirm right now. There's nothing less about you. There's nothing less about your life. There's like nothing less that makes you different on a bad way. I love how he writes here, each one has a gift, right, to receive from, the, from God. And so the life you live isn't less. It's not less of a calling. And like, let's undo every social stigma around that. Like, the, you are valuable. You are lovely. You are loved. And infinitely, like, infinitely more, not because of anyone else who comes along and says, okay, like, I will affirm these things in you. No, but because Christ affirms this thing about all of us. 
Later in that chapter, Paul goes on and he writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 32 to 35. He says, I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. Again, like that this makes it into our scripture. Like, I love how God has a much bigger picture of what sexuality is and like being good with the lives that we have. And so I want to speak this over to people who are single and struggling in their singleness. You are valuable. That you can have a healthy sexual embodiment, whether you're ever married or not. Whether you want to be married or not. Marriage is a good thing. And when you find it, you find something good. But knowing yourself sexually does not begin. Like being known and knowing other people doesn't begin when you finally find that one person. It happens way more than that. And to back this up, like people in the, in the church, in our faith, have been writing about this for quite some time, right? We don't hear this and it's not promoted. It's not always out in the open. But like God has moved people throughout the church's history to try and grapple with what does being sexual really mean and how to do it well. And how to, because we also have prohibition, and we're going to talk about that in a second. Like, well, how do we do that well? And I want to throw out this idea. We're going to talk about this in our MCs this week. This is going to be a part of like the, the dictionary of city life. I want to throw out the definitions of social sexuality and genital sexuality. Like, I know that word already like, creeps some of us out. But listen to this. This is social sexuality. It says this, defined in um, Deborah Hirsch's own words. It says, it constitutes all the relationships we have family, friends, work colleagues, and so on. All those that make up our basic social network and friendship circles. Each relationship we have provides different levels of intimacy with different levels of intensity. We each have a range of needs that are met through a variety of people. Every relationship we have, therefore, fits somewhere into the category of social sexuality. It's like sexuality, it cannot just be, hey, like, wait until you get married, right? Because we're like, we are way too big of a people. Like, sexuality is way too big of a topic to only be, hey, wait until this one person comes along, and one person that's approved, and then, like, you can get to know this. Like, no, like, if sexuality is our desire to know and be known by other, it's too cheap if we only make it about genital relationships. Right? Like us knowing and being known by other people, we can be healthy and vibrant and knowing that like in healthy boundaries with what the word gives us. Genital sexuality is defined by this. It has to do with our genital sexual connection with longing. This can range from a purely physical act, if there is such a thing, to experiencing all the stuff of romance, fluttering of the heart, arousal, and so forth. On some level, this involves a degree of nakedness, certainly physically, but also emotionally and even spiritually. Like, I reflect a lot about how like, God made sexuality to be a fire that burns so brightly. 
And like sometimes it's a temptation to say like, Lord, why couldn't you just have dimmed it down or like made it easier for us? But like he hasn't. In his infinite creativity, this is how he landed. This is how he made us to be sexual beings. But it is so much bigger than what we reduce it to be. Like you can be this vibrant sexual being because you are known and you know and are known by people around you who shower you with love and acceptance. And if you want that other's type of love, if you want that like marital, genital love, like you want a good thing, but it's not everything in a world conditioned to think that it is. Like let's broaden our horizons that like God made us more than just that one thing. It's a great, powerful thing but it's not everything. Pursuing sexual wholeness is a journey towards finding healing so that we are healthy sexual beings and that we don't think of everyone as potential conquests. Like if we like are people who like let the gospel speak to us to have healthy relationships with people that we that come in our path, like oh like we can be fulfilled and we can be happy with our relationships. And so because we start there, let's go to our next topic, which I called, It's All in the Greek. Originally, the section was called Sex uh, Before Marriage, but then Ryan in staff meeting rightfully pointed out to me, he's like, Pedro, like, it's not sex before marriage. It's like really the better conversation is sex outside of marriage. But uh, because that's really intimidating, like I, uh, being a little clever here, we said it's all in the Greek. And in this section, like if God created us to be sexual beings, and if he made this avenue for us to be like sex, to experience genital uh, sexuality, and I'm going to say that a couple more times just because like we need to get a little bit more comfortable with even just hearing that phrase. Like why, why is this so important? Why do we talk about this? Why like, are we so consumed with this like one sin? Like why? The why on this topic to me is so important. It's like, maybe even as important as the answers to everything else. And like, why do we even go here? Why do we, like, is it awkward? It's awkward for me too. Why do like, we are preaching about this? But like, because scripture does, we go there. And there's actually, I want to just point out three reasons of why we go here. Why this is important. Why we give time on a Sunday to this topic, sex outside of marriage. The first one is that the whole point of this sermon series, every sermon series, but the whole point of preaching is for us to be discipled into the biblical worldview, right? That's one of our four main pillars in this topic, uh, in this sermon series. Like, I say that I am a disciple of Christ, and so his word forms me. It's not the other way. This is like such a topic where we like say, like, God, you have no right to speak to me in this. Like, God, you can be the creator of everything. You can be the, the boundary former and every other part of my being, but this part I'm not going to let go. It's too intimate. It's like, oh, this is like something that I want to do, so I'm going to like try and justify whatever I want. But like everything, we're discipled. We're supposed to be discipled into the biblical worldview. And so we'll go here because Scripture goes here. We'll also go here because there are like basic, there's like the polar opposites. There are two Christians that we like, we have in our heads with this. One is like the people who want to reinvent the wheel and like are also on board with the sexual revolution. And we look at, and then they look at scripture and say like, oh, there's like no phrase in scripture that says you shall not have premarital sex. And it's like, yeah, that's true. Like that term, sex before marriage, premarital sex isn't in scripture, but it's actually all over scripture. That's why this section is called, 
it's all in the Greek. But like I, I've been in those circles and I've like spoke to those people and they're like convinced that scripture doesn't talk about this. And I was like, that's wrong because it does. But then I also think like sometimes people on that camp are only there because they're in rebellion of this one camp of the old school, old school conservative Christians who like make this the issue, the unforgivable sin and say like, if you have sex, you are uniquely broken and there's no way to redemption. There's no way to like find Christ again. And I don't know where we even get that from scripture because that's not here, right? We talked last week about Jesus, how Jesus' grace opens the door for care and for his truth both to come and to bring us healing. And so like we, sh we need to avoid being on the side of the people who like want to reinvent the wheel and be cool kid Christians and say like, go for it. Scripture doesn't say anything, it does. But we also are not like Pharisees and Pharisaical and we're not like living for the law who say you like are irredeemable if you go there. And no, both are uniquely untrue. The second reason of why like we go here is because we need to like affirm an accurate view of what sex really is. The church's reputation that is rightfully earned at times is that we have a low view on sexuality. On, not sexuality. Sexuality too, but I'm talking about sex here. The act of having sex. And like, we have earned that. And we need to wear that. We are much more, the church in general is much more discipled by fear around sex than it is about like what God actually says. And we need to unlearn that. Like I pray that this sermon series helps us to do that, to undo being discipled by fear and be discipled by the word. Because we like don't actually have a low view of, sexual, of sex or sexuality. We actually have the highest. Like scripture says that sex is so big and so profound, and so intimate, and so beautiful, that it is so much more than just an exchange of bodily fluids. It's like so much more than just an exchange. Like what, what sex really is, is one soul touching another as our bodies do the same. Like sex isn't just a physical thing. It's not cheap when the world like cheap and sex and they say like, just go and pursue every pleasure. Like, no, it's like not that. Like when, when we meet someone in that intimacy, there's an exchange of the soul that happens. Like there's a soul level activity that is going on right now. And like that gives sex like one, the highest view possible. It's much more than just an activity. It's like our hearts and our souls and our beings somehow doing something in intimacy, right? Just like the genital sexuality definition, there's nakedness there in all of the emotional and spiritual ways possible. And so we go here to affirm that we don't have a low view on sex. We have the highest, actually. It's so special that God says, reserve it for one person in a bond that is unbreakable in like a God-honoring, brought-forth-to-God marriage covenant. Like outside of that, sex will only cause harm. But we'll talk about that in a second. And the third reason why we go here is like because like I just feel this amount of pastoral burden to like bring show love and bring care. Like because sex is so big, and when we step into it so casually, we like don't understand what it actually does. It causes things to happen in our souls. Like there's a soul level exchange that is happening with like soul ties and like being that close to someone outside of the covenant that is lifelong 
it will always do something. It will always leave a deposit. And it will always be take, giving something away that should only be given once to one person. Not once, but to one person. And so like out of love and care for us, like sometimes some of the biggest work that I do on this topic is just hearing stories of like, oh, like I really hurt myself here. And it took me a long time to figure that out. And so let's dive in. Like we don't have that much time. The word that I wanted to introduce to us in how we should shape our view of what sex really is, is a Greek word called porneia. Sounds pretty familiar, right? Porneia. And the reason why porneia is also so good and also so not helpful is actually has nothing to do with the Greek but the English, right? Porneia in our English Bibles almost always is translated into some version of sexual immorality or sexual sin. We, and we get the idea, okay, immorality is never a good thing, right? And so we think, oh, okay, there's some things, there's some perversion, there's something happening here. There's some prohibition that God is saying, like, don't, don't be a part of this. But the Greek is so much more specific and expressive than, like, the English. English, like, guys, I, we're all English speakers here if you're listening to this. And sometimes it just leaves us high and dry. English sometimes is not good enough because in the Greek... Parnea includes prohibition to many activities and many different types of things. Like at times it's speaking against prostitution. At times it's used against sensual living, right? Being driven by your senses and only like caring about your senses. It's like translated as promiscuous sexual activity. It's like directly linked to bestiality and incest. And it's actually it's used to speak against homosexual acts. But it also, more broadly, is like any sex outside of marriage is a part of porneia. Like any activity of sex, of, of general connection outside of the covenant of marriage is sinful. Is not like within the realm of what God has designed. Like sex is so big and it's so powerful that it needs that covenant or else it causes damage to our hearts or else there's an exchange that is like improperly done at improper times with improper foundation. And like the question that like remains here is like, I just like want us to think like if God is the creator of everything and we say that he's good and if we believe that he gives us good boundaries, then like will we allow him to give us some prohibitations around this? If God made this, called it good, like can he also not know when it's bad and damaging and hurtful? The, I wanted to read Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 to 3. This is like to me such a good use in English of the word parneia. God's word says this. It says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And then like seemingly to us, almost out of nowhere, like he, he goes there. He makes it sexual, right? For all of us who like are going through this series and are really still honestly struggling with like, why are we making sex like such a big thing? Like this is what, like God's word takes a turn here and says, but sexual immorality, porneia, and all impurity or covetedness must not be named among you as is proper among the saints. And out of all the texts that like mention this, right, there's like so many that talk about sex and sex outside of marriage. 1 Corinthians 5, verses 1, 1 Corinthians 6, 12, 6, 18 to 20, chapter 10, verse 8, 2 Corinthians 12, 21, Galatians 12, 
21 again, Acts 15, 20, Colossians 3, 5, 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 to 7, Hebrews 13 to 14, like just to name a few. Out of all those, like why this one? And I chose this one because of like the key idea that is attached to it. That these things, sexual immorality, pornea, should not be attached to the body of Christ. It should not be named among you. It's like, uh, it causes me to think like, Throughout the church's history, the one time that's like the times where the church is acting its prophetic capacity like the most, the most profound, like the when the world is most shocked about this counterculture of a group of people who are sinful and broken is like usually when there's like sexual purity involved. It's like something that the world in any age, we're like, it's so easy to say it's 2022 and it's different. Like, but no, actually our culture looks very much like Jesus's culture in the day. And in some regards, Jesus's culture back then, back then was like way more liberal than we are right now. It's like when the church is really known and like when the outside world really looks at the church throughout its history, like sexual purity and like putting these prohibitions around it and living differently, looking differently, it's like shocking to the world and it causes people to say, why? Like, what is happening here? Why is this different? I have this uh, article written in the second century and it's from a Roman perspective. And it's like the Roman writing about how weird Christians were because they were cannibals. They talked about eating someone's body all the time and because they would not share their wives. And like that is like still remains so powerful today. Like if we let God shape us and mold us, if we like accept his prohibitions and his boundaries for our own good and for prophetic purposes, like, wow, like we can be vibrant and be healthy. And so that's why we go there. Like I, I want to have a life with the boundaries of what God tells me are good and pleasant. And the last area that we're like, we need to go to for the sake of time, we need to go there is cross-gender relationships. As I was preparing for this sermon series as a whole, this is probably the only part that I was like, this needs to be included. I felt so convicted that like we needed to at least mention this at least one time. It's like, and admittedly, this is not only for people in their singleness, though like a big implication of it is for people who are single. But it's like, I, like, I really believe that, our, that the church, that we are more discipled by fear, especially when it like, comes to men and women relationships. And it's about time that we like, not become unwise, not say anything goes, because clearly that's not the case. But to be like, Lord, I want your truth to disciple me more than fear. Like if I am discipled by fear, I'm not discipled by you because there's no part of you that is fearful. And so how do we like orient ourselves to be like in a world that's like sex sells everything? Like I was thinking and like, though there's components of sex and like the only things that I think are celebrated except for like some holidays is like Easter and Christmas. That's like the only things that aren't overtly sexual. Everything else, sex sells everything. And like even like M&Ms, we have sexy M&Ms. Like and that was a controversy at one point. And it's like we're so conditioned to think about everything in terms of sex and we like we reduce all relationships into like, man, can I get something here? Or like, oof, like, oh, that person's really attractive. And if like if I'm attracted to anyone, I'm gonna fall, or like I'm gonna like as if like my sexual desire and drive is the only thing that like causes me to be human. 
But like, I, I really believe that part of healthy living, sexual vibrancy, and like healing for the church is to be at this place where men and women have healthy relationships with good boundaries, with integrity in place, but one that we're not like led by fear, but like God's image. If I don't have real, honest, vibrant relationship with women other than my wife, I miss half of the image of God, and I miss half of what God is doing in the church. And I think the lasting metaphor of this uh, is like that we are called brothers and sisters. Like that is the lasting metaphor for the church. And it's, it's mentioned that scripture in the New Testament mentions that a lot, but like I wanted to read Romans 8, 14 and 16, where it says this. It says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And I, like, I love that. Like, let me highlight a couple of things for us to understand in this part of what we're saying. Is that like, we are all sons. And this term here, sons, is, to us seem gendered. But here, this is a legal term. It has nothing to do with only applying to men. This applies to women as well. Like, you are given the status of son that like, puts us on equal footing. It gives us all legal rights to belong to God. That's what he was doing here. That we are all sons, even the daughters. Like, you have full rights to go to him. And if you have full rights to go to him, then you have now been given the spirit of fear, a spirit of slavery, right? Freud wasn't right. We aren't just base animals, like driven by our urges. Like we're more than that. We can be more than that, especially in God. And in the church, we can be more than that because we have been adopted. Because we have the same father and we all call out to him. And so you are my sister and you are my brother. And that's like the lasting metaphor that we are given, like people who can be sisters and brothers and safe for one another, not sexual conquests, not like uh, a target to be had, but like my approach to you is like not out of eroticism, but out of like, hey, you're my sister or you're my brother. Like uh, I grew up in the church and there's always a, some level of cheesiness of saying like, hey, brother, hey, sister. And like for a long time, I like would never say that. And I still kind of really don't use that term anymore, though I believe in it and like agree with it. But like the first person who really taught me, oh, this is like valuable, has been AC in our church, AC Valenzuela. Like she's the first person who calls me her brother and I'm like, I get what you're saying. And then like it, call, it reminds me every time, it's like I have to be safe for everyone, men and women in our church. Like, I have to be healthy. I can't approach life, like, only thinking about erotic love or expression or my drives. Like, no, like, I'm more than that. We're more than that. I'm called to be a brother. So how do we, like, be safe for one another? How do we have safe relationships across gender and be like, hey, like, there's no threat of more happening here because you're safe with me. One of the things that I have been really enjoying reading is about Jesus. Jesus had a relationship with, close relationship with men and with women in a time when like that did not happen, especially with women, right? We think about the disciple John. He calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved and like he reclines on Jesus's breast and like they loved each other deeply. And then we read about like Mary Magdalene and what Jesus did for her. 
and how he brought up love in her, but their like love never crossed any line. They like never became inappropriate. It was never about that though. Like who knows if there was attraction there, but like integrity was kept all the time. She loved him. She loved him to the point where she stayed where most of the disciples left. In fact, the only people at the cross, well, there were more women there, but John and Mary Magdalene were there watching him die on the cross because they loved him. And so we like need to be this prophetic group of people who say, you know what, like, you're safe with me. And I'm safe with you. My fear is that like, if we talk about this and we preach about this, like, oh, there's going to be like all these inappropriate relationships are going to start coming out at church. And like, no, we already addressed, what, addressed what's inappropriate. Like, let's not be fear-driven, but like, oh, this group of people who know that we are safe with one another. That's one of my deepest desires for this church is that we know that we are safe with one another, that we are brothers and sisters for one another, and like know that like okay like sexuality the eroticism in it isn't what drives us but we're like so much more from that and so to conclude this like there's a lot three points we said that this is a portrait we're beginning to paint a portrait of being fulfilled and expressed as a sexual being in singleness we talked about prohibition like there is this prohibition scripture says sex outside of marriage in any context, before or later on, and like, like anything, like it is inappropriate. It's outside of the bounds of what God says is good and healthy. But then, like, we're also called to connect and be with one another, and that's like the definition of sexuality that we're going with here is that we can be known and know other people and provide safe places. And so, like, as a church, like, I just want to declare I'm safe. You don't have to come worried. You don't have to like bring fear into this relationship, into this church. Like we will provide safe places. And if this type of sin ever does come in this church, we will address it thoroughly, righteously. But like let's learn to be a people in our singleness and for one another. Like I'm okay. I'm safe. I have peace. And let's see what happens. Let's see how like God uses us to prophetically be with one another and be a part of this city. And so church, like, there's so much more that I would love to say here. There's so much more that we will continue to say in our MCs and in the future. Um, but we love you. Like uh, In your singleness, know that you are not less. That God loves you. We love you. The church is like your body. We are your brothers and sisters. And as you are searching for more, if you want more, you're looking for a good thing. Like sexual wholeness begins in yourself, not tied to anyone else. So church, I'm going pretty long already. Love you. And uh, join us this week in our MC. If, you, if this strikes anything in you, join us in one of our MCs. Email me at preesetcitylifeandj.com and we'll connect you to an MC. We'll get you in these conversations. Like you don't have to go another week without being in one of the MCs. So we love you. We'll see each other soon. See ya. Have a good week.